This is the Retirement Detective Podcast, where we dive into cases with Philip Mock, chartered financial analyst and certified financial planner professional, to solve common retirement and financial planning questions. Get insight into how to solve quandaries that appear on the path to and through retirement, ideas on how to approach savings and investing for retirement, and how to plan for retirement in a tax-efficient manner. Now, here's your host and lead retirement detective, Philip Mock. Hi, everyone. It's Philip Mock, and welcome to the Retirement Detective Podcast. In today's episode, we're going to talk about beneficiary designations and discuss why they're so important and so simple, and yet why they're so overlooked. It's one of the easiest things you can do in your estate plan, and yet it's really often overlooked. So in today's episode, we're going to analyze the who, what, where, when, why, how of beneficiary designations, and we're going to jump into that right now. First of all, if you've not made your way to our website, I do encourage you to go check it out. It's www.retirementdetective.com. So go check it out and let us know what you think. Sign up for the newsletter or submit an episode idea. But we're going to jump right into today's episode. We're talking today about beneficiary designations. So a beneficiary designation is basically... um, a, a form, a way to identify someone that will inherit an asset in the event that you pass away or that the person that owns that account passes away. Certain types of assets have beneficiary designations, and so they're going to have a form that you have to fill out when you set up that account. You may not remember doing it, but you probably did it, and you identified who would inherit that account in the event you passed away. A couple really common examples would be life insurance policies and retirement accounts. In those two accounts, there's usually usually almost always a beneficiary designation that identifies how the assets are to be transferred to the beneficiary that they chose, that they designated. Sometimes you can name your estate as a beneficiary or a trust, we'll talk about that, but Taking a step back, when you're setting up your estate plan, what you're really doing is leaving a roadmap for your heirs and for the judge or other legal body that's going to be in charge of the probate of your assets, potentially, if that's required, or, or the executor of your estate or your estate attorney. You're, you're giving them a roadmap of what you want to do. That's the whole point of the estate plan is to say, I have these assets and I want them distributed to my heirs this way. Maybe you have multiple children, and maybe you just divide it among the children, or maybe maybe if your spouse is still living, you just simply want the assets to go to your spouse. There's lots of different possibilities, but for most people, that's all it is. The estate plan is there to be a roadmap. For really high net worth people, estate planning also involves planning for and attempting to mitigate paying as much estate taxes as you might without some estate planning. But for most people, estate planning is just paying in advance for your heirs to not have to guess, or think about where your assets should go. Instead of them paying for 
probate and attorneys to figure it out, you've paid for all that on the front end. However, I've got really great news. A beneficiary designation costs nothing to set up. So even if your estate plan is in shambles or you don't have one yet, you can get your beneficiary designations fixed up today at no cost. And we're going to talk about how to do that. Like I mentioned, beneficiary designations are simply a way to identify who's going to receive the assets of a particular account when you pass away. However, in some cases, you may have skipped that form when you opened the account or or maybe you don't remember doing it. So it's really important to get it set up because believe it or not, your beneficiary designations will actually override whatever you put in your will or your trust. They are independent of your other estate planning documents. Now, I consider beneficiary designations to be part of your estate plan, but they are nonetheless not part of the documents that your attorney will draft. Now, if you have an attorney draft your estate plan, they may and most likely will weigh in on changes you might need to make to your beneficiary designations. But ultimately, you can do that yourself without even having to have the rest of your estate plan set up. If you don't have a will, you don't have a trust yet, you can still do your beneficiary designations today. First, let's talk about the account types. So most retirement accounts, when you open the account, they're going to require you to pick at least one beneficiary. Life insurance policies do require you to pick a beneficiary that would receive the payout from the life insurance policy in the event you pass away. There are some less common account types, though, that can also have a beneficiary designation. For instance, a a taxable investment account or bank account that's a transfer on death account is effectively an account that's a non-retirement account, non-life insurance account that has a beneficiary designation. If you have a 401k, a 403b, an IRA, a Roth IRA, a SEP IRA, a simple IRA, any type of IRA or or retirement plan, 401k, 403b, 457 plan, you have a beneficiary designation whether you know it or not. And so number one is you want to make sure that you at least have a beneficiary set up. If you skipped that form, then you missed it. And when you don't have a beneficiary named, it's highly likely that that account's going to go through the probate process, which is a a legal process to identify who gets your assets when you pass away if you don't already have a plan for them. That adds costs, delays, etc. So you don't want to do that. So number one is go to your retirement plan provider at work, call up the custodian or brokerage that has your IRA or your Roth IRA, ask them for a beneficiary form or a copy of your current beneficiary designations, and just see where you are today. If it's set up today how you want, great, you're done. If you look at it and see that your your only beneficiary is your spouse that you divorced five years ago, that might be a problem. You might want to re-examine that, and I've seen that before. So the easiest thing to do is reach out to these different organizations. If it's if you're still working, ask your HR or your benefits department to see who your current beneficiary designations are on your retirement plan at work 
and then ask for a form to update them if you decide they need to be updated. If you have an IRA or a Roth IRA at a brokerage or at a custodian, same thing. Ask for a current copy of who your beneficiary designations are and ask for the form to update them if you decide that that's necessary. They should not charge you a fee to do this. So that's why I said it's an easy, fast way to get this part of your estate plan in order. There are two categories of beneficiaries that you'll see on that form. There are primary beneficiaries and contingent beneficiaries. Primary beneficiaries are are the, the main person or persons that you identify that you want to receive that account upon your passing. So let's say you have an IRA, and we'll just call it IRA number one. So IRA number one, you you identify that your spouse, if they're still living, you want them to receive 100% of that IRA. Easy enough. So you call up your custodian and say, please send me a beneficiary designation form. They do so, you fill it out, and there's going to be a box to say, who is my primary beneficiary? And then you're going to have to put in a percentage. It's almost always a percentage. You don't usually get the opportunity to do a dollar amount. So you say, I want 100% of this IRA number one to go to my spouse. Done. Easy enough. Now that second category is important. That's a contingent beneficiary. What that says is it tells the retirement plan, hey, if my primary beneficiary is passed away, they're deceased. In that case, then I want this account to go to this person or these persons. So it's effectively a backup. So the primary is if this person is alive, they get it, or persons, then they get it. But then it says if all of my primary beneficiaries are passed away, then it goes to my contingent beneficiaries. Now, if you only have one family member that you would ever want to leave your assets to, you can name other people outside your primary family as a contingent beneficiary. You could name a a sibling or a niece or a nephew or an uncle or anybody you want, a friend. Um, But you can also name a charity or charities, um, which brings up another point. You can have more than one primary and more than one contingent. So let's say that your spouse has passed away, but you have two children. So you could say that your primary beneficiaries are 50% to your first child and 50% to your second child. And those could be your primary beneficiaries. Then the contingent beneficiaries would kick in if um, both the primary beneficiaries had passed away. Now, when you have multiple beneficiaries, things do get a little bit complicated. And I'm going to introduce a legal concept to you. It's called persterpes. And you're going to see this on the form. Persterpes is a Latin term that basically means by branch. And then the opposite of persterpes is something called per capita. However, usually the form doesn't say per capita it'll have a box next to persterpes. And if you check the box, then you want persterpes treatment. And if you don't check the box, you don't want persterpes treatment, but that actually has a name and, and it's per capita. Now, it has to do with when you have multiple beneficiaries, what happens to the assets in the event that one of your heirs passes away, but they all did not in a certain level. So let's say you had... As your primary beneficiary, you have three children. You have three children as your primary beneficiary. And let's say it's child one, 
child two, and child three. When it's per stirpes, the assets of the beneficiaries that have passed away will flow through that deceased beneficiary to their heirs, their children. So let's say you've got your three beneficiaries in our example. Let's say in our example here that you have, you, we've got our three siblings and let's say sibling one is deceased, but sibling two and three are still alive. So this person had put on their beneficiary designation form, I want my, my three primary beneficiaries to be my three children, child one, child two, child three, and I each want them to get one third of my account, 33.33333333%. But unfortunately, child one has passed away. So what happens? Each of these three siblings has their own children. For persterpes, each of the first childs, the, the child that passed away, child number one, each of their children will inherit their share split up. So however number of children that that sibling that had passed away has, the third that would have been for them is split among their children. So let's say they had three kids. So the sibling that had passed away, instead of that sibling getting 33.333%, they're deceased. So instead their kids get 11.1% each if he had three kids. The other two siblings that are still alive simply get their third. So you can think of persterpes as the assets always moving down. So if you think about a family tree, persterpes, the assets always move down the tree. So for any sibling or excuse me, for any beneficiary that's passed away, persterpes says, please give my share to my children or my heirs. Now, this is in contrast to per capita, which is what happens if you don't check the per stirpes box. Per capita says basically move across instead of down. So let's go back to our example. We have three siblings here, and the first sibling, number one, as predeceased, our, our main account holder that's passed away here. And in the per stirpes example for that first sibling that had passed away, his share went to his three kids. And then the remaining living siblings each got 33 and a third percent. Now under per capita, which is the opposite of per stirpes, we move across. So sibling number one has passed away. Under per capita, sibling number one's children will not receive anything. And instead, his share is split among the remaining two children. So in this example, you have sibling one, sibling two, sibling three, sibling one has passed away. Under the per capita rules, sibling two and three will each get 50% of the account instead of 33 and a third. And sibling one's living children would receive nothing. That's the biggest difference between per stirpes and per capita. With per stirpes, you basically say, each of my heirs and their heirs keep their share within their part of the family tree. And per capita says, I care more about each level of my family tree and want the assets to move across. So think of an example on per capita. If two of the three siblings had passed away, then the remaining sibling would have received all of the assets. Under per stirpes, if two of the three had passed away, the living sibling would still only get 33 and a third. And for the two that passed away, their heirs would share 
the 33 and the third that belong to their part of the family tree. Effectively with per capita, it's like that sibling in their side of the tree never existed and the share from that sibling or person is returned back to the state, estate and then distributed evenly among the remaining beneficiaries. Or if the original plan wasn't even, then it's distributed um, pro rata. So when you look at your beneficiary designation form, you're going to see this little tiny box that says per stirpes, and it's got a box next to it, and it's not going to seem like a big deal, but it really is a big deal. When you check per stirpes, you're making a, a huge choice if you have multiple beneficiaries. Now, for a lot of people, and I'm not saying this as a recommendation, I'm just saying I think for a lot of people, they tend to put their spouse as their primary beneficiary and their children as their, their contingent beneficiaries. And if you have more than one contingent beneficiary, or really more than one primary beneficiary, then you have to make an election for per stirpes. And it's really a matter of would you want your heirs your heirs' heirs to receive their portion, or would you rather have your surviving heirs split your assets? It's not an easy choice. Now, this is a really important thing for you to do. It doesn't necessarily require an attorney to make a beneficiary designation choice, although if you end up having your estate plan done where you have a will and perhaps a trust made up, then Considering your beneficiary designations is going to be an important part of that process. But the most important thing to do is just to make sure you have this set up. It's, it's really easy. So my main takeaway for you today is investigate what your beneficiary designations are and how you can update them. Identify who should be your primary beneficiary and who should be your contingent beneficiaries. I encourage you to name both. It's just good practice to name what is effectively a, a backup individual or individuals to your primary beneficiary or beneficiaries. Read the form carefully and make a smart decision on whether or not you want per stirpes treatment. Keep in mind also, naming a trust or a state can get complicated and could have tax consequences. So I would really encourage you to talk to a CPA or an attorney before you name your estate or trust as a beneficiary. I'm not saying don't do it. I'm not saying that you should do it. I'm just saying it is really important you consult with a CPA or an attorney before you do that. And lastly, your beneficiary designation is part of your estate plan, even though it's not something that's necessarily drafted by an estate attorney. So if you have an estate plan done in the future, make a note to go back and re-examine your beneficiary designations. And to that end, you really need to make sure that your, your beneficiary designations are updated whenever you have a major life event, like a death in the family, a marriage, a divorce, or the birth of a child or grandchild. Life events are always a great time to make changes to your beneficiary designations. One other tip. Usually beneficiary designation forms ask for the name, the birthday, the social. Be sure that you... Use the correct legal name that you get their birthday correct. And if you decide to put their social security number on there, that you get that correct too. Failing to name your beneficiaries correctly could cause huge delays in getting those people their share of the assets. Or, I mean, in a scenario where 
you've got people that maybe have similar names, you could have a real disaster that might even end up in court. Be as specific as possible and make sure you spell the names of your beneficiaries correctly. Use their full legal name. Make sure you put anything in there that will identify them as the person you want them. If you have a sibling named, I'm going to make up a name, John Smith, but they're actually John Smith the third, and they're a doctor, then if it were me, I would put Dr. John Smith the third, because putting the third on there and doctor help narrow down the number of John Smiths that this could potentially be. And then you put their birthday on there and their social, and you've truly identified who this person is. Please, if you have someone that has a generic name that you want to name as a beneficiary, do not just put their first and last name and not put any other identifying information on there. That is a mistake. You want to be as specific as possible. That's my last tip for today on beneficiary designations. The most important thing to do is to name them. Have beneficiary designations. Know who they are. Make sure it's done. Primary and contingent. Update it when life happens make sure it's taken care of because after all, it's free and pretty easy to do. We'll see you next week. This recording strictly is for informational, educational, and entertainment purposes only and should not be considered investment advice. Opinions expressed are as of the date of recording. Such opinions are subject to change. The views and opinions of guests on this program are not necessarily those of the Retirement Detective Podcast. The Retirement Detective Podcast is not affiliated with any guest or his or her business affiliates unless otherwise stated. The Retirement Detective Podcast does not guarantee the accuracy or the completeness of the data presented herein. The Retirement Detective Podcast shall not be responsible for any trading decisions, damages, or other losses resulting from or related to the information, data analysis, or opinions or their use. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. All investments are subject to investment risk, including possible loss of principal. Individuals should seriously consider if an investment is suitable for them by referencing their own financial position, investment objectives, and risk profile before making any investment decisions. This podcast is not a solicitation to purchase or sell securities or a solicitation for advisory services. This podcast is not engaged in rendering legal, financial, accounting, or other professional services, then nothing in this podcast should be relied upon as rendering legal, financial, accounting, or other professional services. Philip Mock is not a detective or law enforcement officer, and any reference to such is for entertainment purposes only.